When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are back listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We are finishing off the NFL Draft recap for our last eight teams today, talking about, of course, from a fantasy football perspective, a dynasty perspective, and we'll give our draft grades as well. And when I say we, today I am joined by Mr. Adam LaRue. Dude. You are part of the BFL football team. You are one of the top dynasty writers of Belly Up Fantasy Sports, which makes you the perfect person to come in here and fill in for Chris, who's away for this week. Don't worry, guys. Chris will be back next week. But Adam, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on. Thank you. I'm really excited to be on the show today. Dude, we are going to get in some big stuff here. Now, today's show is... A little bit on both ends as far as being meager and yet heavy content at the same time. Because we're talking about a lot of teams that didn't have first-round picks today. As we talk about, you know, Seattle, Rams, the Chiefs, Texans. We'll have those in the second half of the show. First half of the show, we're going over the Saints, the Packers, the Bills, and the Buccaneers. So I'll have some things to break down there. Of course, we have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show. Like we always do. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment or if you just have a fantasy football question that you need answered, all you got to do is hit up at Show. We are available to you 24-7 all throughout the day. 
There hasn't been a ton of news this week. Some things out there. Adam, I want to get your thoughts, though, on Julio seemingly pushing his way out the door in Atlanta right now. Give me some thoughts on that and what you think his expectations might be. What's Atlanta's expectations if Julio were to move on? Um, You know, I, I'm worried about uh, Julio leaving. I don't think there's a lot of spots where he retains his current fantasy value, to be honest with you. Uh, as we talked briefly on the show uh, Tuesday, uh, it's pretty much it's Green Bay, it's the Chargers, <clears throat> you know, a couple other spots where he maybe stays about the same, but there's not much where his fantasy situation gets better. Uh, in regards to what happens in Atlanta, uh, I, I really think Mike Davis is the the biggest beneficiary here. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, as we once again as we talked about on Tuesday. You could see a rise in two tight end packages, um, and you know with that uh, they could be running the ball more. Uh, and you may I, through that you may see Hayden Hurst lose a little bit less than he would have uh, with with Pitts coming in. Yeah, because I mean officially he would have to almost act as the third pass catcher because you figure it's going to be Calvin Ridley, mm-hmm. whose value I don't think changes too much. We saw last year when Julio was out. And even with Julio in, his target share did not really fluctuate and it didn't really matter whether Julio was lining up on the other side of him or not. So that's kind of why Calvin Ridley, yes, maybe his floor gets more cemented into what he could be as far as having to judge him basically as a low-end wide receiver one at that point because he'd be getting all the work. But his ceiling doesn't necessarily rise up from there. Not that there's too far to go. Anyway, uh, Kyle Pitts... Maybe he gets a few extra targets. His value to me as a rookie tight end is still going to be very much tied to his touchdown production, which I don't think it can affect by Julio that much one way or another, because as you all know, Julio Jones doesn't catch that many touchdowns to begin with. And I think that's more value to him than anything else. So what happens is you got Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst. To your point, if you take away Julio... You're going to have to probably run the ball more. We know Arthur Smith already likes to run two tight end sets from his days in Tennessee anyway. So now Hayden Hurst is going to probably be on the field more than he originally was going to be regardless. Now, does he become somebody who's streamable? I think so, because he's going to be another guy like Kyle Pitts who's going to be targeted in the red zone. So he's going to be a tight end, too, who's going to be worth playing, I think, here and there is going to have the touchdown potential. And as we all know, as a tight end, that's all you need. All you need is touchdown potential, and he'll be in that position. But then that trickles down to Mike Davis, trickles down to the running game, the fact that they didn't draft a running back, really, to actually, in any kind of significant way, didn't bring anybody in free agency. I thought maybe they would bring in James Conner. Maybe they'd bring in a couple of these guys. They didn't do that. So it's it's the pathway has been cleared for Mike Davis just go ahead and get the bell cow work like he did with Carolina last year. And while I have my questions about Mike Davis actually being that good and being able to do what he did in Carolina a second year in a row, and as we saw at the end of last season, he kind of fizzled out because he started to wear down because he's a more of a guy who's a good compliment, a good backup, not a guy who I want to give 300 touches to, but everything's shaping up to be that way. So I look at Mike Davis, you, you have to solidify him in the RB2 status purely because of the volume, no? Yeah, you absolutely do, uh, especially with this trade. But even before then, I mean. So that's going to be the interesting part. As far as Julio goes, I agree with you. I First of all, it's a pretty good situation that he's in to begin with. So it's going to be kind of hard for him to have a better situation really anywhere else. I think the Packers, 
like I said, we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday night on Bell Fantasy Live uh, from 8.30 to whenever we feel like it, basically, which will be back in a couple weeks from now. The Packers are the only team I could see where you can make the argument that he could have just as much and possibly more value because Aaron Rodgers is a step up from Matt Ryan. Uh, Devontae Adams is a great number two to have with him paired up. They're never they're going to be interchangeable. Both these guys can go inside and outside. They're going to have plenty of opportunities. We're not going to match up in the team's top corner. You're not going to be able to double them in that situation, too, if you have Devontae Adams on the other side. That's a scenario where I could see almost Aaron Rodgers having a repeat of his MVP like season. And therefore you have Devonte Adams and Julio Jones, both, both. I, I can't even think of another situation. Both could be top five wide receivers in that scenario. Given if they all were to stay healthy, I don't know. Has there ever been, I'm trying to think there's gotta be right there. Where there was a top five receiver, two guys on the same team. I feel like there has to be, this was one of the one, best but... all time duos ever. If that were to happen, but anything outside of that, to your point, I feel like it's going to be a da- even the Chargers. I feel like would be a downgrade because of the way that offense goes. With Justin Herbert still kind of. I still want to see what what happens to Justin Herbert. Yeah, he had a great rookie year, and that, that's fine. But it's a new coaching staff, and we saw towards the end of the season when teams started to figure it out. Like, hey, you know what? We take Keenan Allen away. He doesn't seem to hit the guys with regularity. He doesn't seem to be able to get into rhythm as much accuracy. He he fizzled out at the end of the season. So I I I still need to see Justin Herbert come back in his sophomore year and light it up for me to truly believe that he's that guy. I'm not necessarily sold. What do you, what do you think about that? Oh uh, yeah, I, I definitely uh, feel what you're saying, but I, I like him, man. I, I really do. I think uh, he did have his flaws as a rookie as all rookies do, but they weren't necessarily the flaws that I expected him to have. Um, and, you know, really you, you talk about, uh uh, him not hitting these other targets. These other targets aren't that great. They're not getting that yeah. great separation. Uh, it really was Keenan Allen's like this great route runner and can get him, uh, you know, these open windows. And Mike Williams, you're hoping with his length, he can, you know, make targets down or uh, catch the ball down the field just because he's longer than these corners, uh, bigger than these safeties, whatever. And, you know, you're hoping that uh, uh, I'm spacing on their deep threat, but uh, got. No, uh, Guyton. Sorry, oh, Guyton. Yeah, sorry, Guyton. Who could be uh, Josh Palmer this year? Yeah, exactly. But these guys, you're only really winning with speed down the field. Once again, they're not polished route runners. They're not, you know, these guys who you're doing anything else with. And Hunter Henry was a shell of his former self last year. And the fact that he got the contract he did just enamors me. <laughs> no, it's fair. And then you have Austin Eckler. You know, a healthier Austin Eckler. We'll see what mm-hmm. that does. There are things in place. I just need to see it now with Joe Lombardi coming in, who's going to be more of a spread it out type of guy too. Fits what Herbert was doing well last year. I'll give him that. So it will be interesting to see. I just I'll be upfront, and MD Nation knows this. I'm I was not a Justin Herbert fan coming out of college. To your point, though, there were holes in his game and tape in college that didn't wind up showing up in the NFL. Now, is that yeah. because Anthony Lynn did a good job of hiding those things, or is it because Justin Herbert suddenly took the next step up in his development? That's what I'm going to be waiting to see come sophomore year, but I'm not necessarily sold on the farm the way a lot of people are, but I can't necessarily argue against it right now either. Just kind of want to throw that out there just to be objective and fair. Okay, so besides that, we had the Jeff Wilson news come out. Uh, Wayne Gallman quote-unquote, is the RB2. So they're still going to... I mean, look, 
Wayne Gallman is a fine backup. We've seen him come in, in in places for Saquon Barkley and be able to perform well. That's fine. It's hard for me to believe that Trey Sermon, who they trade up for in the third round, is not going to be the guy who's at least number two come training camp. Hard for me to believe that, given the way the 49ers function. Of course, you also always have the... Uh, possibility that somebody else is going to get injured anyway in that backfield. I mean, we, we didn't even make it out of May before somebody went down. So uh, what do you what do you, do you really believe Wayne Goldman's going to go into the season as number two behind Raheem Mostert? How do you think that's going to play out? I have no belief that Wayne Gallman is going in as the, the number three. Uh, I I absolutely feel as if it'll be Trey Sermon by the time, you know, uh, things get real. Uh, I think I'll have a good preseason and that'll pretty much wrap that up. Um, as we talked about on Tuesday, I think really Elijah Mitchell was the big, uh, you know, no one wins with an injury, but he was the big winner here. <laughs> uh, I, I think he was someone that, you know, would have had the fight to make it on the roster. And even once he made it on the roster, he would have not had real production. And now he, you know, depending on if he can beat out Wayne Goleman, now I think that's where you're worried about, you know, uh, RB3, RB4. If Elijah Mitchell can beat out Wayne Gallman, then I think uh, you're, you're looking at him with the potential if Roheem Moster goes down uh, to get into that that share in uh, San Francisco. The the last piece of news to just keep you guys all up to date on the current events going on right now. The last piece of news today, actually, Corey Davis, a little bit of a shoulder injury in OTAs. Sounds like it's a very minor thing. He'll be completely fine. So Jets fans, relax. If you have Corey Davis, relax. Doesn't sound like it's anything significant. Just something that came out today. I want to keep you guys up to date on. And if you ever want to be up to date on the player news notifications coming out, just follow us at BellyUpMDFFShow. Turn those little notifications on. You'll be up to date for free on player news that's relevant for your fantasy football teams at all times. Now, before we get into the actual content of today, which remember, it is the NFL Draft Recap, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors on the day called Symbol, and that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L Symbol, where Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout, and when they lose, you don't lose money. The value of your team's share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your play store and use the promo code mds fantasy for a ten dollar deposit of at least ten dollars or more join the fund of investing in your team for the long haul where the sportsbook edge is put back into your hands as the player for the latest and most fun in sports gambling download the symbol app and again use the promo code mds fantasy for your ten dollar deposit bonus today okay guys so let's jump into the saints and the saints probably had one of the worst drafts of all the NFL teams who actually still had a first-round pick to be able to go off of. I was not impressed with this team at all. So we'll start with Adam here. Adam, give me your general thoughts about the Saints draft. Yeah, uh, I, I got to agree overall. I mean, uh, uh, I know this is a fantasy show, but Peyton Turner was a reach. Uh, he is someone who a lot of people was, were starting to like as like a, a flyer DN once you got towards the mid to late end of like the second maybe even early third he was someone a lot of people are starting to like in that range but taking him in the first is not something that I would have been with uh and uh, Pete Warner uh you know interesting athlete good athlete potentially a bit of a reach there not as bad but the rest of that draft is just outside of Landon Young who I think was I mean the sixth round that's pretty solid 
outside of that, that's just all around, not a lot of great value. Ian Book in the fourth is beyond, as a Notre Dame fan, that's beyond me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, you're hitting it right on the nose here where it's just, there's a real chance here that no one taken in the Saints draft is going to want to be a player of significance in any capacity. That's how bad this draft was. That's how much of a reach they were with Peyton Turner. And Peyton Turner brings up an interesting point. What is Marcus Davenport now then? Because they're playing on the same side of the defensive end position. It's very confusing as to what they were trying to do going into this. They take Paulson Adebo, the cornerback. I bring him up because I thought they were they should have spent a first-round pick on a cornerback situation because you have the Marshawn Lattimore off-the-field issues at the moment. We don't know if Lattimore is going to be able to play this season, what he's going to be suspended for, anything going on as of this moment. And if you guys haven't heard the news, and this came out a few months ago, but if you you missed it or something like that, Lattimore is being charged for assault and battery, and it seems pretty serious as of this moment. So there is a question mark as to if and or when you're going to even have Marshawn Lattimore this season. We've seen the Saints secondary without Lattimore. It's abysmal at best. So that's where it gets really kind of interesting as to why they didn't address that earlier. They've been trying to bring in guys like Richard Sherman. That hasn't happened as of yet to try to fill some of the holes there. You're going to need that defense. Look, maybe Jameis Winston turned a corner as far as his turnovers go. But on the off chance that he's still the same old Jameis Winston, your defense is going to be on the field a heck of a lot more than it has been the past couple of seasons. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Your point, the Ian Book, the fourth round, I... Did you? I mean, look, here's what I'll say. They pay Taysom Hill. Now, he's not going to get the full length of that contract, but they pay Taysom Hill an ungodly amount of money to be a gadgety backup quarterback, essentially, because it's going to be Jameis Winston as a starter. There, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Is Ian Book just supposed to be Taysom Hill part two? Does Sean Payton really value that position, that type of player, that much for Ian Book in the fourth round? A guy that most didn't have getting drafted, period. And that, and, that, and that's just to bring up the point, uh, if you're looking at Ian Book's fantasy value, there is none. There's zero. Don't bother wasting your time. And the only other player that could even be fantasy relevant, maybe, I use that term loosely in this case, Quan Baker, who they took in the seventh round, 6'1", 210 wide receiver, ran a 4'4", 340, has some explosiveness to him. But if he's going to be anything else outside of his special teams, especially for the first couple of years, I'd be shocked. Were the Saints ever going to get a second receiver? Yeah, I mean uh, that that second receiver spot. It seems like they've been rotating guys for a for a while between uh, Harris and Traquan Smith, and even before that with a bunch of you know other guys or Emmanuel Sanders, obviously last year, but you know, a, a shell of Emmanuel Sanders. Well, I was going to say the ghost of Emmanuel Sanders, which is what he was last year, is the best second receiver they've had to Michael Thomas and Eons. When is this Trey Smith? crap this this trey smith hype this trey smith hope when is it gonna go away because i how many opportunities does this guy need to have before you say hey you know what just a mediocre receiver that's my that's my question to everybody all these especially the dynasty guys they still hop on the trey Quan smith train and it makes no sense to me this is not a guy that we're still trying to guess what he can be he has had that number two spot for a couple of seasons now 
He's a nobody. He's a dime a dozen wide receiver. Don't waste your time, MD Nation, on a guy like Trey Smith. But I digress because those are things that we're going to talk about in the team profile series, which will start next week. We're not going to talk about the Saints next week, so that's why I feel okay about talking a little bit about it. But it will start next week, and we'll get into more of the breakdown from team-to-team basis as far as the fantasy value goes. That's all to talk about with the Saints when it comes to fantasy value of their draft in general. If you can't tell, my draft grade on them is an F. Because I don't see one player on here that could be significant value for them. So I have to give them an F. I can't even give them a D minus. I thought I wanted to give them a D. I can't even do it. I have to give them an F. How about you, Adam? Um, yeah, I think I might be right in there with you, maybe in the D minus to F range. I mean, really, this, their best two picks, and once again, I'm like it, their best two picks are Pete Warner and Landon Young. Landon Young was a sixth rounder, and Pete Warner is someone who I do like. I just think that, you know, more of a third round pick than a second. But I mean, I feel like at this point, that's kind of splitting hairs with how the rest of their draft was went. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to the Green Bay Packers, who unfortunately follow suit with the Saints in quite a few ways. You go Eric Stokes in the first round, cornerback guy. I mean, Adam, where'd you have Eric Stokes? I don't know. I, I didn't have him great until late second earliest. Yeah, uh, I, I was probably a little higher, but not much, like a mid, closer to a mid-second uh, uh, for upside. He's definitely a pretty raw guy. <laughs> definitely needs some work. Uh, you have all this Aaron Rodgers news coming out, and your move was to take a developmental project cornerback in the first round. If you guys haven't been able to figure out why Aaron Rodgers is mad at the front office, this should have sold it to you. If, if Jordan Love didn't sell it to you last year, this year should have sold it to you because it's clear they don't care about getting Aaron Rodgers' weapons. They don't care about making his life easier. They look at it as, we have Aaron Rodgers. Let's do whatever we want with the rest of the team, and we'll get back to the conference championship game. That's how they're looking at this, and that is a ignorant way for a front office look at this, and that's why I'm not upset. There's people out there who are giving Aaron Rodgers crap about it. No, he's absolutely in the right here. Look at all the quarterbacks now. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay. Look at the weapons that he has. Look at what they've done for him since then. I want Antonio Brown. Okay, you have him. I want Rob Gronkowski. Okay, you can have him too. I want Leonard Fournette. All right, here you go. I want a veteran running back who I can trust catching the ball out of the backfield. Here's Jeremiah Bernard. They do everything he asks for. The Packers don't. Packers don't. And that's basically what it comes down to. Before we get to the rest of it, Adam, I just want to hear your thoughts in generally speaking about the Packers draft this year. Um, that, like you said, it's a in in terms, it's like really close with uh New Orleans. I don't think it's quite as bad. Uh Josh Myers, I didn't think was as bad of a reach, although I didn't really think that center was that big of a need for them either. Um, uh, and then in the back of the round, I think Kylan Hill in the seventh was really good value. Uh, past that, there's some, you know, other guys late in the draft that uh, were about, you know, in line with where they should have gone, but not necessarily super great value picks. I don't love Amari Rodgers in the third, but I, I get it because uh, as you were kind of getting at with the Buccaneers, Tom Brady might have five or six receivers better than anyone on the Packers other than Devontae Adams. Like that's ignorant like there's there will be receivers dropped from the Buccaneers that are better than the wide receiver two on the Packers and that's not okay 100 percent is you have Mike Evans 
You have Antonio Brown. You have Chris Godwin. Then you have Scotty Miller. Let's not forget about that. Then you have Tyler Johnson, who had that big game you know, for him last year. They have weapons everywhere. You still have three tight ends. O.J. Howard comes back. You still have Gronk. Cameron Bray continues to pay, take pay cuts so he can stay on the roster. It's insane when you compare the two, and I think that's a big reason why Aaron Rodgers. Now, Amari Rodgers, you bring him up. Mm-hmm. and that's, Yes. As far as his NFL draft value in the third round, pitiful, because that, that's not where he belonged. This is a guy graded fifth, sixth round, has some nice skill sets to his game, has some promising potential, wasn't meant to be in the third round. That's the NFL side of it. Let's talk about the fantasy side of it in the scenario he comes into, given the rest of the Green Bay wide receiver core. Go ahead. Yeah, I actually, so I bash the value, but I actually do really like the fit with Aaron Rodgers if Aaron does come back. Because uh, one of the things on film that I really loved about him, I was like, I, you know, uh, too small to really play on the outside. So he's got to be a slot, uh, you know, not the athlete that you would want in the slot, especially with like there were a lot of really great slot receivers in this draft and, you know, on and on and on. But I, I thought the way he tracked the ball in the air, like if the ball was high, like I thought he did very, very well on that. And he's someone who you'd have to be creative with it, obviously, because you can't line him up on the outside. But he, he could be someone that could do that back shoulder fade that uh, everyone's always loved Aaron for. Because um, I, I do think he tracks the ball really well in the air. And really, that's all I got. Uh, landing spot's great because, once again, this receiver group is not much of anything past Devontae Adams. And if, you know, and if Aaron leaves, Devontae, I think, is out pretty much immediately after unless they start throwing the tag on him. Um so he, he could jump into quite a bit of fantasy value rather quick, whether Aaron stays or not. Because if Aaron stays, then uh, receivers will get elevated on this offense. And if Aaron leaves, he could end up as the best receiver on the offense in two or three years. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Yeah, it might just be after this season because it's. I'm mean, from what Devontae Adams is saying. To your point, they can franchise tag him. They can still pretty much dictate Devontae Adams as of right now. But if it's up to him, it sounds like if Aaron Rodgers is gone, Devontae Adams wants the first plane ticket out of there himself as soon as he possibly can. Yeah, Amari Rodgers. A lot of people want to compare him to Randall Cobb, and you know what? For good reason. And I'm usually not in on the mainstream comparisons, but there's there's a good comparison here when it comes to him. Number one, he is strictly more of a slot receiver. He's not a guy you can want to play in the perimeter, but he's a bigger body type of slot receiver. 5'10", 210, he's thick. He's not one of these smaller guys. He has decent route running capabilities. He ran a 4'4'4 in those 40. He has some speed to go with him. 
So he fits the mold. He is a guy that you I can see them, you know, certain situations lining up in the backfield and kind of using him in that way, kind of the same way they do it, Randall Cobb. So the comparison there does fit. He's actually a little bit more explosive than Cobb is. The question will be, does he continue in his route running uh, ability? One thing I kind of noticed on film when it comes to trying to make those 90-degree sharp turn cuts, he's got to get a little bit better at sinking his hips, but he's not far off, and he definitely has the potential to do that. Eat. Let's let's say Aaron Rodgers stays. Let's let's go with that scenario real quickly. You have Marquez Valdez Scantling, who is not a slot receiver. He was just there to be a deep threat guy. He would line up in the slot most of the time, but it's not it's not what he is. You all you would do is you kick him out to Alan Lazard, have them compete for the opposite side of Devontae Adams, and I really believe that your two top receivers as Green Bay heading into 2021 would be Devontae Adams and Amari Rodgers. Why? Because there's only two guys who can run routes. That's why. And that's ultimately what it boils down to. And Aaron Rodgers is going to like having somebody who can actually go to as a safety blanket, having his... We know how much he loved Randall Cobb on that team. This is the closest thing he's had to that, as sad as it is, a third-round pick who we both discussed as even a reach there, probably... That he since Randall Cobb himself, so there is a lot of things to like here about Amari Rogers. He's probably a guy that I'm going to take in dynasty drafts. I would have him rated in that second round because there's a real pathway for playing time, and he has a talent and a potential situation that would bode well for him. To your point, if there's no Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have to lean on the idea that he's just going to get volume. We don't know what we have out of Jordan Love. But here's what I do know. Jordan Love coming out of college, one of my big knocks on him, he's not very accurate. And I don't really love non-accurate quarterbacks with guys who depend on slot timing routes to get their targets. But he could be in a volume situation. So it's going to be more of a floor, way less of a ceiling. But either way, I'm with you. Mario Rogers does have some value, kind of no matter how you look at this to some degree. So one of those later on rookies that really could have some potential there. Outside of that, Kylan Hill, like you mentioned, he's a better than your typical seventh-round running back, for sure. The problem is you have Aaron Jones locked up for multiple years. A.J. Dillon still locked up for multiple years. Unless there's some significant injuries, I don't see a pathway for Kylan Hill to get on the field with the Green Bay Packers. What do you think? Um. So I guess this would be my, my note on that, is that, if uh, if Aaron Jones is either hurt or if they move on from that contract early, which uh, teams have been more and more willing to take that loss, and it could very well, uh, depending on you know what happens with Jordan Love, be a rebuilding situation. If uh, you know if Aaron leaves and Devonte ends up leaving, um, I, I think he would pair really well with AJ Dillon. To be honest with you, I think their skill sets kind of complement each other really well because uh, Kylan Hill, he's a for his size, he is a tough runner, but he's not someone I really want to run on the inside. He's kind of someone I want to be my uh, PPR back, want to run on the outside, that type of thing with him. I don't want to keep jamming him into the middle like you would with A.J. Dillon. So I think those two could be a pretty, like, I don't want to say great tandem, but they complement each other. They could, they're could they both slightly above mediocre backs, and especially Kylan Hill, but I, I think they could work together, to be honest with you, uh, if – uh, Aaron Jones out of the picture. Yeah, but I mean, the earliest I think that could be would be 2023 because he's got a four year contract. It's guaranteed for the first two years. So the earliest Aaron Jones is moving on would be 2023. And that's where your seventh round running back 
who knows if you're still in the team, who knows if you're still in the league at that point, because that's kind of the territory you're talking about for that general reason. I gave the Packers a D minus. The only reason they have an extra level up from the Saints is because I can see Amari Rodgers being an impactful player, where with the Saints, I don't see any impactful players. So that's the only reason why I would kind of give them a D minus. What's your NFL draft grade off the top of your head? Uh Probably, probably closer to a D plus. There's a couple picks I like at least for uh, not impact players, but that I think will stay in the league at least. <laughs> so I'll I'll lean towards D plus, but still not not a great draft at all. No, for especially for a team that was trying to jostle to stay ahead or at least atop of the NFC. Now I think falling far farther and farther behind. So let's move on to the Buffalo Bills, which from a fantasy's perspective, not a ton to talk about here, but. Had a good draft, especially for a team that drafted later on. I mean, Greg Rousseau and that that first-round pick, when you have him getting added to that defense, the one thing they lacked was a consistent pass rush. With Greg Rousseau, now have a very good, consistent pass rush to add to a very good defense already. I like Boogie Basham. He's a guy who comes in and projects well to be a, an all-around 4-3 defensive end. Fits that Sean McDermott system really, really well. Spencer Brown was a great value in the third round. That's a very good offensive tackle, and he gets to be a backup. He gets to be the sixth guy because they brought back their entire offensive line from last year, which was top 10 in the league as it was, and that was a good pick. Followed that up with Tommy Doyle. The Buffalo is building their team correctly, and believe me, it's hard for me to admit that because I was not a Sean McDermott fan, you know, a few years ago when they made that hiring. They have built that team the way you have to, where you go from the inside out and everything's fitting well. And they here's the other thing. There's some locations where building your team to fit your elements can be really fruitful. And with Buffalo, they are a physical team on offense and defense. And when you there's, I don't want to play Buffalo in Buffalo with this team that they've built, period. And that's why their draft, to me, was so good. From a fantasy perspective, we'll, we'll jump into that first and then jump back into what we think. Marquez Stevenson, the only guy from a fantasy perspective that might have any value. So just give me some quick thoughts on him. Yeah, un- Unfortunately, he's someone who's going to come in and he's going to be fighting for that between that somewhere between wide receiver six and wide receiver four at best. He's not someone that immediately has a lot of fantasy value. Uh, he, he could jump in in the long term, maybe as a wide receiver three, maybe. But to me, he was someone on film who comes across super raw. He is a speedster. He does have the frame that you would like for like for a speedster. He's pretty uh, on the bigger side. Uh, but overall, man, I, he, he just wasn't someone I loved. I didn't think his routes were that great. Um uh, Hands were all right, but not you know not anything incredible. Overall, he just wasn't someone I was that excited about as a prospect. But you know, if, if he ends up with Josh Allen with that huge arm, and they you know he can become a deep threat there, could be interesting, but not something I'm necessarily banking on. Yeah, I literally have in my notes: special teams player, fast wide receiver, could be something in two to three years. Yeah. So if you want to stash him on your taxi squad. Fine. Remember, they brought Emmanuel Sanders. They have Gabriel Davis. They have guys like this already where they have fast receivers who are special teams guys who might get sprinkled in on the field here and there to stretch the field. That's about it. Nothing really crazy of note. 
So we're not going to spend too much more time on the Buffalo Bills. I'll throw up their draft picks there one more time just to remind everybody. But I'm going to give them a B. I'm going to give them a solid, solid B to a B plus because they got guys who are going to really help them out defensively this year. But then they also gave themselves some wiggle room on the offensive line moving forward, being able to develop these guys when eventually they're going to have to move on from some offensive linemen. But really, they are set up well to continue reloading and continue being one of the top teams in the AFC East. Got Ab. Yeah, I agree. I'm 100% on that grade with the, the B to B plus. Uh, I love those two um, pass rusher picks at the, the, the top. Or I mean, Carlos Basham's more of a, a straight up the end, you know, can run defend as well. Uh, Spencer Brown as a, I think this is a perfect, perfect fit for him. Uh, one, like you said, uh, the, the more physical environment, he's a big physical guy, but also coming somewhere where he doesn't have to step in right away is huge for him because as a developmental tackle, he like could not have any more tools. Like he is a very, very toolsy guy. He's just not someone I would, would have wanted to be the starter right away. Somewhere where like uh, uh, Indianapolis would have not been a great fit for him because he would have, you know, there would have been pressure for him to come in soon. He's someone, give him a year or two. I think he can really be like a, a dominant tackle if things go well. Yeah, and I just I'm gonna give them credit for Rakad Wild Goose because that's just a fantastic name. How could you not be a wonderful <laughs> football player? Uh the next team up we're gonna talk about before we kick off this segment, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, the Bucks were in an interesting situation, in my opinion. They had a great offseason of free agency. They brought everybody back to all 22 starters. They have crazy depth on both sides of the ball. So I thought they were in a position to do one of two things. Either take best player available or take guys in mind for the future. And in some ways they went with the latter, but I didn't feel like at any point they took best player available with their draft picks, starting off Joe Tryon in the, in the, in the first round. This is a guy that I had rated in the, they could, I think they could have got him with their second round pick with Kyle Trask, not having to go up and get him in the first round. That was not the guy I thought they wanted to go with. Now I understand what they're doing there. They're getting guys to back up Shaq Barrett. They're looking at how they won the Super Bowl, and they're saying, Hey, you know what? Getting pressure on the quarterback, that's how we want. And we want to make sure we continue to do that. Fine. There was other guys available that would have been have more of a upside than a Joe Tryon does. And I question his fit to some degree because I think he's more of a pure linebacker. Todd Bowles likes to do multiple fronts, so he's not going to be on the field all the time. I see him more as a pass rushing specialist than I do as an every down player that you took there in the first round. Now, of course, fantasy football-wise, not much to talk about there, but not much to talk about in the draft in general for the Bucks, uh, fantasy football-wise. Kyle Trask is what we're going to talk about from a dynasty perspective. I'm okay with the move. Now, second round, I thought was a little much. I thought he was more of a guy, third, fourth round type of guy. But once we get outside the top five, this is my top-rated guy because I think he, again, is a guy who can come in. He prorates to me out to be a high-quality backup for his career. I think he'll be in the league for a very long time. I think he's a guy that if your starter goes down, you can still trust him to try to help you win some games, which is kind of why I like him there. But as far as being the starter, as far as being the Tom Brady eventual replacement, if Tom Brady ever does retire, because at this point, I think we have to question that. What is your outcome, your outlook for a Kyle Trask down the road? I don't like it. I think he, like you said, great backup. I think he'll be in the league a very long time. Smart guy. Um, 
you know, is willing to push the ball down the field, but he doesn't have the arm to do so. Uh, it, his arm, like, it's it's like we're seeing in the body of a 20-something-year-old the arm of Ben Roethlisberger now. Like, it's just not not quite to that extent, but it's not great for for the age you're getting him at, for, uh, you know, getting him in the second round. He just doesn't have the physical skill set of someone I would want to take in the second round. Um, I think he'll be in the league as a long time because he, he's a good decision maker, um, you know, makes the right reads, but just not – it's too much in the second round for me. Uh, I, I think he will get a chance just because I think this is how this is built. I think it's, you know, built to, to move on to um, left, which, you know, after Arians, you know, I think it's built for, you know, them to be in a similar offense. We'll get time to learn. Uh, as we talked about Tuesday, the whole Blaine Gabbard situation is just coach speak. And, you know, all, all these other guys, uh, Ryan Griffin. Yeah, like none of that's going to happen. So I, I think he'll get a chance, you know, the year after Brady retires. I think they'll figure it doesn't work out, and I think he'll return to being a backup for you know a decade after that. Talk about guys that have no business being in the league today, and Blaine Gabbert and uh, what Blake Bortles signed with the Packers. Like, can can we just get rid of these scrub guys who, because of their names, because of where their draft capital was way back when, still have to get talked about in the media? It drives me insane that I have to talk about these guys. Well, frankly, and we're not going to get into this issue, but frankly, where Colin Kaepernick never got another shot. We're not going to get into it too much. I just find that to be crap, and I just want to point that out. Kyle Trask is interesting me in a few ways. I do think he gets an opportunity at some point. I think this is another situation, though. Barring an injury to Tom Brady, which has happened once in the past, you're probably looking at at least two years from now, because I do believe Brady will at least play until he's 45. So that means 2022... 2023 season maybe Brady actually hangs it up maybe Kyle Trask gets his chance at that point because the big thing here when you're talking about a second round quarterback and you're talking about the future value is you have to take in consideration well will the regime change and to your point other than it passing from Bruce Arians to Byron Leftwich, I don't think we're going to see too much change in this regime this is going to be a good team for the next couple of seasons so as a result of that, I do think you're going to have some loyalty to the second round pick in Kyle Trask that you took here. And he's going to be developing behind Tom Brady for the next couple of seasons, which with his skill set is probably the best person he can learn, not just because Tom Brady's go, but he's probably the best person he can learn by because Brady didn't have the strongest of arms either. But from anticipation, from knowing where guys on the field, from being a smart decision maker, is able to make all the throws, ultimately speaking. So I think Kyle Trask in a perfect situation to learn to be his best version self. But I'm with you. I think he gets one season, one opportunity, not to sound like 8 Mile or Eminem or anything like that, but he gets one opportunity to be a starting quarterback going into the season. After that, I think he goes back to being what he actually is, which is a backup quarterback. So when we're talking about what we want from a dynasty perspective, is he a third round rookie that you can stash until then. Yeah, because I think there's he's going to be one of those spot starter guys, especially when you're talking about two quarterback super flex leagues. Because let's not forget, he's probably going to be on a team that's going to have weapons. Even if, you know, we'll, two years from now, let's move down the road. Gronk will probably be gone. Antonio Brown will probably be gone. We'll see what happens with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. The one thing I know for sure, though, when you're talking about a Bruce Arians, you're talking about a Byron Leftwich, they always have weapons. They always have good wide receivers. They're going to keep reloading on offensive skill players. So that is the one thing I give Kyle Trask a bit of a 
floor that you can sink your teeth into at the very least, because I do believe when he does get that shot, he'll have weapons to be able to go to. And if he pulls off a Ryan Fitzpatrick of source, let's say, where he's not afraid, and he showed it in Florida, he's not afraid to let his playmakers go up and try to make a play. Sometimes that's all you need to do in the NFL to at least get productivity. Maybe you're not going to get a lot of wins. I mean, Fitzpatrick hasn't been to a playoff at all, but you're going to have productivity from a fantasy standpoint. So I think he's interesting, maybe a little more interesting than you necessarily do, but ultimately I think we agree he's going to be nothing more than a backup down the road. Uh, I do want to point out, though, he was fifth in overall yards passing. He had 76.6 completion percentage and adjusted rate and big-time throws. He is a guy that I think does have that if factor and will be a decent pro. Uh, Robert Hainsey was a nice pick for them in the third round. Let him develop. He's not going to help them out right away, but he's a guy that he might be a guard. He might be a tackle. He's a good sixth man to have because he's going to have that flexibility. I don't think he'll ever be dominant, but a decent pick there. Uh, Jalen Darden was the wide receiver that they took, and I'll throw this back up here for everybody following along. Jalen Darden was their fourth-round pick, only wide receiver they took. He's a special teams player, could potentially become a slot receiver type of player. We already mentioned how many receivers the Bucks have. It won't be anytime soon before you hear Darden's name ever called again. This is not a guy you have to target in Dynasty, even, even taxi squad-wise. I don't necessarily see the overall potential given how many weapons the Bucks have, and I don't see a special skill set out of Darden. I don't know what you think about that. I, I really like the skill set, and I was kind okay. of bummed to see him bummed to see him go to uh, Tampa. I just think he's an electrifying player. He, I, I thought you know it was going to be, a, even if he got to a – a team that had uh, the potential for volume. I thought it was going to be 50, 50, whether or not he got shoehorned into a gadget role, at least at first. Uh, but yeah, here he has relatively no value. I'm not like, I, I'd maybe go a little higher and say, you know, if you have a deep taxi squad or if, you know, you're on a taxi where you can hold them there for two years then maybe throw one on Darden, but uh, past that, you know, he, he isn't someone I'm targeting in drafts just because, you know, in, in Tampa, uh, you know, he's maybe wide receiver six right now. Maybe like that's his peak right now. So, okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Keep Adam saying, keep your name, keep an eye out on that name. Overall, I gave the Bucks a C minus. Uh, partly, I didn't like their first round draft pick. A lot of the other guys they took are potential players in theory, but a lot of question marks, I think, I have to say overall. However, the Hainsey pick was good value. I think Kyle Trask, even if he winds up being a backup quarterback, he's a good backup to have to Tom Brady, I think, at the end of the day. So there were some nice things that they did as well. Ultimately, not blown away. So I give him about a C minus. I don't know where your grade's at on them. Um, I'm probably in the C minus to D plus range. Uh, I, I agree pretty much with what you have to say. I just really don't like those first two picks. And I, I think I'm probably going to you know, value those a little bit more than anything else. So I might be slightly lower, but not not anything too crazy. All right, so make sure you guys stay with the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Stay with the MD's Fantasy Football Show because in the next segment, we're going to come back with the Seahawks, the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Texans and talking about the some fantasy interesting moves that they made during the NFL draft and what their outlooks are looking like as of right now. So stay tuned on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and we'll be back right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by... 
Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Joining here, my special guest, Adam from Belly Up Fantasy Sports, the big dynasty writer, perfect guy to go over this last NFL draft recap episode for all of you. We now will be covering all the 32 teams after today's show. In the second half, we're going to be talking about Seattle, Rams, Chiefs, Texans, all in that. You can go back in the first half of the show where we talked about the Saints, the Bucks, the Bills, and the Packers. Of course, we'll still have a mailbag segment at the end of this segment here before we close out the show. And this part of the show is going to be brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight, which is a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy sports and prop games. Download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com with the promo code BELLYUP for a dollar-to-dollar match on your deposit of up to $100. That's potentially an instant $100 free dollars for you to play with today. So just use the promo code BELLYUP and download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com. So Adam, now we get to go into one of the interesting groups of teams because these guys, they didn't have first round picks. So they had to make do with the small amount of picks that they had. And it left me with uh, quite a bit of questions to say the least. We'll start with the Seahawks who had three draft picks. So clearly we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this team, but Dwayne Eskridge is somebody, especially from a fantasy standpoint is a name of note. So I want you to go ahead first. Tell me what you think about Dwayne Eskridge and this draft pick by the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, as a draft pick, I don't like it at all. I think there are better receivers on the board, a, a couple of them, to be honest with you. Uh, he, he's not someone I love, but what I will say uh, on film, uh, you know, he does have that limited trap route tree that you've noted. But I, I think he has the potential to really grow in his route tree. He's got super quick feet, and that's something I, you know I really value, especially in guys that um, you know didn't have, get a chance to develop a, a more well-rounded route tree. Uh, in college, he, he has super quick feet. I think he can pick up on on routes relatively uh, quickly as a pro. Uh, I just as an immediate impact player, uh, he's going to be on the field as, as that third receiver uh, unless something changes in Seattle of uh, uh, formation wise. But you know, he's just not someone I love as a rookie. You know, I think dynasty, he's definitely worth keeping on to. I, I do like his, his ceiling. Um, it's just that you know, one like I said, he's. He is a little on the raw side right now. Uh, two, he's a Tyler Lockett clone. I know this is something we've talked about, but he, he is like the same skill. He's Tyler Lockett was a little bit more polished coming out, and that's about the biggest difference. Like they are otherwise skill set wise, like right in line with each other. And why we get just a second Tyler Lockett rather than some, like a skill set that the offense doesn't already have is just beyond me. Um, you know, so. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The, the, him as a draft pick is not great but i really especially in dynasty do like his value redraft he isn't anything more than like a waiver wire flyer when your other guys are uh injured or uh, on a bye week but dynasty i think two to three years from now he, he could be a, a, a really interesting play yeah so i'm i'm with you kind of echoing the same sentiments that you kind of brought out there nfl wise i hated the draft pick it doesn't make any sense that the guy who dominantly is going to have to help you out on special teams was your second round pick. And in Seattle's case, your first round pick, really, because it was your first pick of the draft. You only had three draft picks to go with in this draft in general. That offensive line's still not fixed. You still need defensive line help. You need trenches help in general. You still need secondary help. There was a lot of other positions that you needed to go with. On the fantasy side of things, it's hard to ignore... Dwayne Eskridge, I'm not a fan. You point out Tyler Lockett was more polished coming out. I think Tyler Lockett, from a route runner's perspective, even though he wasn't even a great route runner coming out, is still head and shoulders above and beyond where Dwayne Eskridge is right now. And that's my big problem with this pick. This screams bust to me, ultimately speaking, and I don't like putting a lot of value on guys in Dynasty Leagues who I think are going to be bust. But Eskridge is hard to ignore for a couple of reasons. He does have the second-round draft capital. There is a void at the third receiver position for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, how utilized that third receiver gets, I have my notes in here. Last year, David Moore, who was the best of the third receivers that they tried to trot out there for the year, he only had 35 catches for 417 yards. He still wasn't that utilized. Then this is a Seattle team that threw the ball more last season than they ever did, and we already know Pete Carroll wants to get back to running the ball a little bit more. So the question is, how much value does a third receiver on Seattle actually have to begin with? How is he anything more than a deep threat decoy when they do go through receiver sets to try to take some safety attention away from a DK Metcalf and a Tyler Lockett because he can just run straight? For that reason, I think 2021, I think he'll be somebody that we do talk about from a DFS standpoint. I think he's somebody that if you want to take with one of your last picks and your best ball drafts, he's a name to be considered in that situation, because I do foresee maybe two, maybe three games where he catches two or three bombs and winds up with, you know, 125 plus yards and a touchdown because he does have the skill set to run straight. And you do have the attention being driven away with a Tyler Lockett and a DK Metcalf. And he'll be out in the field. Kind of, kind of reminds me of Travis Benjamin in that sense, where he's going to be out in the field enough and surrounded by two other good receivers who are going to be demanding the attention of the defense where he's going to just pop off every so often. And he just now from a redraft perspective, I hate that player because he's never going to actually be in your lineup when it happens. Mm -hmm. The dynasty perspective on him is that yes, it's a second round capital. He fits a certain skill set, but again, I don't think the third receiver of Seattle is ever going to be that valuable. Tyler lock. If Tyler Lockett hadn't gotten locked up, I, I would be singing a different tune. But because he signed a contract extension, and we know DK Metcalf isn't going anywhere, I don't see Dwayne Eskridge ever elevating from that third receiver spot anytime soon, if, if, if ever, especially if 
what I come past is true that I don't think he's ever going to develop a route tree. I, I don't know what you have to say about that. Uh, I, I like I said, I think what he's got the uh, physical abilities to develop a route tree. Uh, obviously, I, I believe he's a, a little bit on the. I believe he came out as a senior. I could be wrong there. Yeah. But, so he he is up there in age for a rookie. So there's not exactly a ton of time for him to develop. Uh, I think he has the physical capabilities too. I think he's got the feet to do it, but uh, you know, it's up to him to actually, you know, do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree overall on that time frame of if he's worth anything, it's when one of those other two guys are gone and who knows when that'll be, if it's even during his rookie contract or not. Well, and that's kind of my thing as well. He ran a 440. He does have the speed. He's 5'9", 190, just to keep everybody up to date there. So on the smaller side, that's kind of my other problem. Is I think he has to be a slot receiver at some point to really have any mm-hmm. value. I don't think he can continue to line him up on the outside. And that, again, comes down to Tyler Lockett was locked up, so I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I think Dwayne Esker is right, because right now the narrative on him is that people are excited about him. People want him in Dynasty. And he's getting overblown a little bit as far as what his actual upside is going to be. But time will tell. Wrestler draft, they took Trey Brown. I actually didn't mind the pick Stone Force, uh, Forsyth as the six-round pick. That was actually a good move by them. Ultimately, though, I'm going to have to give Seattle a D-. minus. I mean, one, they didn't have a lot of draft picks to go off of. And when your top pick is such a reach for what you needed on your NFL team, it's hard to give, me, give you a ton of credit. Here's what I will say about Dwayne Eskridge. I do think he's better than the receiver who went first for this next team, which was the Rams and Tutu Atwell. I will take a Dwayne Eskridge over a Tutu Atwell. I'll let you go ahead first, though, before I get into his why. You know, I actually, I, I think I like Tutu Atwell more. I think, you know, there are definitely the size concerns. He is very, very small. Uh, but I don't think he plays that way. I think he plays tough. He, you know, can bring down contested catches. Um, I'm not going to, like, labor on him having some great route tree because that's not real. But it's, I think he's probably a little more polished than, uh, than Eskridge is. Uh, he's, he's got a similar athletic profile. Uh, really, the only thing that concerns me is, well, the only major concern for me is that size. From, a, a foot, from both a football and a fantasy perspective, however, I don't like the pick. I like the player more than Eskridge. I do not like the pick because the Rams now have, what, three, four slot receivers? Uh, they can't all be in the slot. Someone has to go outside at some point. Like they don't have, they they just keep drafting the same, you know, not same type of receiver because they have different types of slot receivers. But they all, at the end of the day, are need to be in the slot. Like Robert Woods can kind of play to the outside, but I don't even think that's like his strength. Like I really think every single one of their receivers would be better off in the slot, and I, I think that's really the big issue I have with this pick. Uh, beyond the fact that they just didn't really need a receiver in the first place. Uh, w- with that team, I don't think that's that crazy to go receiver just because they're not a team with a ton of holes. But I, I don't know if receivers where I would have gone in general. And if it was, it's just Atwell's not a good fit for them, I don't think. I'm going to keep reiterating this point. This is going to be the second year in a row that they've taken a second round wide receiver who matters not at all. Everyone wants to talk about Tutu Atwell as the backup for Deshaun Jackson to fill that role when Deshaun eventually gets hurt inevitably throughout the season. What in hell makes people think Tutu Atwell can play the outside? The guy's 5'9", 155. He's not going to be able to get off the line on the NFL level. He's not strong enough, period. 
to your point, he's got to play the slot. Well, last time I checked, they locked up Cooper Cup. Last time I checked, Van Jefferson was supposed to be prorated as the Cooper Cup replacement, but then they wound up locking up Cooper Cup, making that pick even more ridiculous from last year. I think Robert Woods is a fine all-around receiver. I think he can play inside and outside. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with him there. But I agree with your overall point of this is your first pick of this draft. You took a position not only that was not of need, but was not the best player at his position on the board at the time either. Tutu Atwell is, he's okay as a route runner. He's not super crisp. He's not a guy that I think I can line up in a slot and I'm going to just watch him run option routes left and right. And because of his size, he's someone who reminds me more of an Andrew Hawkins back on Cleveland back in the day where he had one sort of notable season. And that's it. Guys this small do not wind up having good, there's no precedence for them having great careers. I mean, I remember the whole conversation about Devonta Smith of, you know, while we all ha- would like him and he's a first-round talent and everything like that, everyone eventually had to agree that because of his size, he's an outlier. He's twice as big as Tutu Atwell is. So I don't understand what the Tutu Atwell love is, especially in this situation. Because I think his only path for playing time is to replace Deshaun Jackson. He doesn't belong in the perimeter. He's not going to make a big impact being a flyer. And what's the case going to be? If he doesn't play the slot, is it going to be any Isabella? That's what I see wind up happening as a result of that with his role. It's a terrible pick. And I think this is somebody that a lot of people are going to get excited about because he's going to have, he's, he's fast. He ran a 4-3-9. And he has second round draft capital. And too many people, especially in this industry, fantasy football perspective and dynasty, get wrapped up in draft capital and wind up overvaluing the position that they were drafted in rather than the talent of the player. Now, I was glad I had you on the show because I know you and Chris both agree that you guys kind of like Tutu Atwell, and I vehemently do not. But Tutu Atwell is just somebody that I don't think he's ever going to have a big impact on the Rams. And I mean, in his instance, and I like to get philosophical on this show sometimes, it's a good example of why draft capital is not the end-all, be-all, depending upon the player and depending upon the situation itself. Now we have the rest of the Rams draft. Well, actually, I should give you a chance to rebuttal anything I just said there. Uh, no, I, I guess I, the way you phrase that, I really like that. He is not someone that will ever have any impact on the Rams. I think on other teams he would. I think the same with uh, Jalen Darden. I was bummed when I saw that he went to the Rams because I, I do like Tutu Atwell as a prospect. I think he is a talented receiver. I, I the, the size concerns, 100%, they're there. I think he could be productive at least for a couple seasons before, you know, that becomes too big of an issue. I think he could have that, like, you know, a couple good seasons on another team where volume was available as a slot receiver. That is not the Rams. This is, like, I am not touching him before maybe the fourth round, if that. Yeah, and that's the other thing. He was a huge, dynasty. huge, huge reach. And uh, Dynasty as well. As well. He was a huge reach, though, in the NFL draft as well. The rest of their draft, Ernest Jones, fine pick. I actually did like the Bobby Brown pick quite a bit. He does prorate out to be a good nose tackle for them to be able to throw in their defensive line. They do need help uh, stopping the run in some cases. He actually goes a long way in doing that. Robert Rochelle, fine player. We'll see exactly what happens there. I don't have a problem with that pick. Then we get to Jacob Harris. Now, Jacob Harris is somebody that it's, it's strictly an upside pick from a dynasty perspective, but I like the fact that he's 6'5", 219. You talked about how they keep drafting these same 
type of wide receivers. This is actually a different type of wide receiver that they need. They need a big body red zone guy. It's one thing they don't really have anywhere throughout the roster. 6'5", 219, he comes in. He has a good jump ball skill set. We know Matthew Stafford loves to hit his jump ball type of receivers. Now, and that's not get crazy. I don't expect Jacob Harris to have any impact whatsoever in 2021 or really get on the field all that much. But this is a guy of note where Stafford's going to hang around for a couple of years. If the Rams start shuffling some receivers over the past couple of years, this is a guy who has a different type of skill set than what they have everywhere else. Let's say what I say about Tutu Owl comes to pass and they realize they can't really line him up on the perimeter and they move on from Deshaun Jackson after this season. Well, I could see a guy like Jacob Harris taking over that outside perimeter and being a big jump ball, big play threat wide receiver to open things up for Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and kind of go the poor man Kenny Galladay route for Matthew Stafford. It's something I could see. I like these big body red zone threat receivers because if there's somebody that can develop more of a consistent route tree, they have big play capabilities, especially compare them up to a, a Matthew Stafford. I don't know what your feelings are on Jacob Harris as a, as a deep sleeper. No, I, I agree. I like him as a deep sleeper. He's someone I would, you know, either in dynasty, you know, keep on your, uh, keep on your taxi squad or just, you know, otherwise make sure he's in the back of your mind for a couple of years from now. Uh, I, I think the big problem with him, at least for, um, you know, even drafting him in the like last round of your dynasty draft, I don't think we've, we're fully in the know of what his position is going to end up really being. I've yeah. heard it's, you know, in college, he was definitely a receiver, wide receiver, uh, and the NFL, I've seen both that, you know, he could end up playing as this perimeter receiver role, especially, you know, like you said, with, if Atwell doesn't work out or, it, you know, when they finally realize that you need more than one perimeter receiver. Um, but also, you know, they do have a bit of a need at the move tight end because, you know, we've we've seen that they like to use uh, tight ends, you know, at different skill sets and, uh, you know, I don't know. Either way, I, I think he is worth the stash overall because if he does end up as a move tight end, he comps out really well um, to being like a an explosive move tight end. So I don't know. I think he's worth a flyer, but he's like you said, he's not someone that's going to be on the field very uh, soon. Yeah, I, and I like that perspective too. I mean, to be clear, if he turns to a tight end, he's going to probably have to put on at least another twenty pounds. Yeah, were that to happen in the NFL, but. Something to keep of note where we've seen it be successful in the past. And I always want to say this. Their seventh-round pick, uh, Ben, and I'm going to screw up his last name, so I apologize ahead of time, uh, Skoronik is going to be my best pronunciation of that. He's also 6'5", 220. So to me, what that signals is that there's an idea in Sean McVay's head of a type of receiver that he's trying to find to try to mix things up a little bit, which also I think bodes more well to Jacob Harris, who I think is going to be the better receiver of the two uh, and actually have more of a chance to be utilized, that there is a plan in place for having that type of guy be involved in the offense at some point, Uh, kind of looking at it from that perspective. As far as any other skill position players, Jake Funk, they took him uh, in the seventh round. He's actually going to be pretty good special teams-wise. He's never going to be a running back of note on the Rams, so don't worry about that in any kind of c- capacity. So let's go ahead and take a chance, uh, or take a chance, take a, a look at the rest of the Rams draft. Give me your grade for them, Adam. Um, I, I think I think I got to go with a, a solid C minus, maybe D plus, but I, I think I feel comfortable with C minus. I really like the middle of their draft. You know, the the Atwell pick. I, once again, I 
don't hate the talent. It's just the fit is atrocious. Uh, but middle of the draft is really good to me. And then those last two picks, uh, they got guys that either fit a, a skill set that they want with uh, Skoronek, uh, who I, as a Notre Dame fan, am not in love with, but he does, you know, I, I see what they're going with. Uh, and then Jake Funk, who is an athlete, you're getting upside. And if nothing else, you're getting a really good uh, special teamer. Yeah, I'm with you on the C minus as well. That's where I have him grayed out to because, again, their fourth round, I thought they had a lot of solid picks there. Mm-hmm. I think they have guys who add depth. I especially like the Bobby Brown pick. I think that was great value. So based off of that alone is where I wind up giving them a C minus. So let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs, another team that didn't have a ton of draft picks, but really they made their great moves in the offseason. And Orlando Brown is worth every bit of a first round pick that they gave up for him to begin with. Uh, for a fantasy perspective, not a ton to go over here. Cornwell, Cornell Powell is going to be a name that you should have in your radars. Mm-hmm. not going to draft him. You can pick him up after your rookie drafts, stash him in the taxi squad. But that second receiver position is going to be wide open for the Kansas City Chiefs. And while I would not expect him to overcome a Miko Harmon or Demarcus Robinson or anything like that, he is the only receiver that I think they have on the roster right now who grades out to be what a Sammy Watkins was for them as their second receiver. Because you go Robinson, if you go Nicole Hardman, you're going with more guys that are more equivalent to a Tyree Kill in the sense of you're more explosive, you're more a home run threat. Cornell Powell's more of a route runner. Uh, I believe he's, I had the notes in here in front of me. He's uh, six foot two ten, a little more physical. Coming out polished. There's not a lot of upside with him. I think he kind of is what he is at this point. He's already 24 years old. He's old for a rookie to begin with. So that's kind of where I look at that, too, where there's not a ton of potential. But that second receiver of the Chiefs, somebody's got to take it over. Somebody's got to be valuable in that situation. I don't expect to be pal this year, but a name of note to kind of keep in mind because I very much see a scenario where a guy like Nicole Hardman officially, finally, flames out in people's minds i don't know what you think about that or cornell powell for the chiefs yeah no i i think that's about spot on uh powell to me was someone that uh he was limited in his route tree but the routes he did run were pretty solid uh you know he wasn't productive until his senior year but you know they've had a lot of really good receivers in front of him so I, i'm not going to say i'm not going to knock him for that at all because i mean you know some of those guys aren't stellar but they are nfl level talent it's not like he was behind a bunch of scrubs it's nfl level talent uh but you know he didn't do anything until his senior year really uh coming out as a four star um and you know athletically he's not i don't want to say he's not you know a good athlete at all but he's just an average athlete for what you're getting as a a receiver but yeah you're right i i think uh you know they the Chiefs have a lot of the same skill set, and he is a unique toy for Andy Reid to play with. So for, for that reason and pretty much that reason only, I, I think I could see him you know, getting a role in the offense next year or going forward in general. Uh, he's just not someone that overall like pushes the needle for me. Uh, but, you know, solid player. Breaking news. Now, this isn't huge news or anything, but I thought I would jump in here because we're getting notifications for it. Urban Meyer talking about Tim Tebow playing a Taysom Hill role. Boy, that didn't take long. Knew that was coming. Oh, oh yeah, Tebow's going to play a little, you know, quarter quarterback. Yeah, not just going to be a tight end. Oh, yeah. So I don't want to get too too much into this, but I just thought it was funny because I knew this had to come because this is the only way 
you can justify Tim Tebow making the team, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no, there's no other scenario. He has to be this Taysom Hill type of player. He can't just be a lineup tight end. The guy does not go from being a quarterback to a tight end after being out of the NFL in eight years and expect me to believe he's going to be competent in any kind of capacity where he should actually make an NFL roster. So now what do you do? Oh, you change the narrative. Well, he's going to be more of a Taysom Hill type. We're going to use him in special formations around the red zone. Adam, the second they take Trevor Lawrence out in the red zone to put in a Tim Tebow, how much, please tell me you're going to lose your mind like I am. Yeah. Uh, I I really want because I I feel like there's this narrative of oh and I I get it like when he was early in the NFL he was this dynamic runner he was never some crazy athlete no. he ran a four seven or something coming out maybe I could be off on like that was a ten, ten years ago no you're spot on yeah ten years ago he ran a four seven if he run like Taron Armstead I think is probably faster than Tim Tebow at this point <laughs> like that like there's no like. We're going to be, I'm going to be optimistic. I'll be optimistic and say Tim Tebow probably runs a 4-8 today. What, like, he only projects out as a move tight end. There's no way he would do anything else if he was to play the tight end position. He would only be a move tight end. And he, like, he's not fast enough to do that. He, like, the Taysom Hill works. And I, works is almost a stretch. But he works because he's actually fast. Tim Tebow was not that. Tim Tebow is big and strong i guess this is like like his ceiling tim tebow's ceiling to me is that like one or two years where uh the texans would trot out jj watt at tight end in the red zone like that (laughs) is really like the ceiling we're looking at for tim tebow that's it i'm just looking at this more from urban meyer trevor lawrence that if you take trevor lawrence out in the red zone you're a joke and look trevor lawrence as a prospect is probably one of the safest prospects at the quarterback position that I've ever seen. And yet more and more as we go through this process, I feel like he may have landed with the one coach who could <laughs> find a way to screw him up because the urban Myers decisions thus far, not so with Tim Tebow with his coaching staff, a lot of things in general he's been doing have been highly questionable at best where he's surrounding himself with his guys, with their checkered pasts, and not, make, not making sense because they're his boys, his country club, his his group. And as a result of that, I am highly questioning the head coaching of Urban Meyer at the NFL level. And you are the only reason that I can see Trevor Lawrence getting screwed up. You don't take Trevor Lawrence out in the red zone for any type of situation whatsoever. Drew Brees was at the end of his career. When they started bringing in Taysom Hill to run those special packages. That's, he was at the end of his career, and you're trying to get more physical. Trevor Lawrence is developing. You don't take guys who are developing out of red zone situations and take them out of those reps. It would be absolutely insane. Uh, I don't want to spend any more time. Go, go ahead. Say what you guys say. Uh, I was going to say, to even go further into that, uh, the, the tangent of you know those two, I, I think Trevor Lawrence could... Is probably faster than Tim Tebow. He is faster and <laughs> yes, taller than Tim not Tebow. Even a question. He is faster and taller. Why are you taking? Why would you take him out? The only issue maybe would be like, oh, I'm worried about his frame because he's small. But like, just let him throw the ball. Then, like, it doesn't. You don't need to be concocting something crazy. And you're right on the decision making thing. It's so bizarre to me that one could be are already this apparent of a dumpster fire as a head coach, despite the fact that you're not even calling plays. 
Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's get back to the Chiefs. I want to wrap them up because I want to talk about the Texans a little bit. Creed Humphrey was a great pick. I mean, the Chiefs can like they can roll out two offensive line groups at this point, and they would both mm-hmm. be excellent compared to the rest of the NFL. Great pick there. Creed Humphrey he can play the center position. He could be a guard for them. Really going to be uh, versatile as far as the interior of that offensive line. They've already taken care of the tackles. They're good there. They have backups everywhere. If they have a situation like last year where they have three offensive linemen get injured, they have three replacements for him right off the bat. They really did a great job there. Nick Bolton was a fine pick in the second round. He's a, he's a typical Steve Spagnola type of 4-3 linebacker. He'll be fine in that role. Noah Gray... It was actually a little interesting. I mean, Travis Kelsey's not going anywhere, but Noah Gray's probably the most athletic tight end they've taken to back up. Travis Kelsey, uh, they tried to do it with Ricky Seals-Jones. He'll come in and kind of be that backup tight end who's a little bit athletic. So, you know, if you want to take Travis Kelsey out or if you were to ever get injured, not that the guy ever does, you still have some athleticism at the tight end position. Trey Smith, that to me was the big pick here. And that's what's going to give them a big grade of a B plus for me. Because getting him in the sixth round, Trey Smith is a guy who's going to be a mauler. He's going to dominate interior. And the fact that you got him in the sixth round and paired him up with Creed Humphrey, again, just goes to Kansas City has the best and the deepest offensive line in the NFL. So what's the Chiefs draft grade in your mind, Adam? Yeah, I think I might be with you on that B+. I agree with the Trey Smith pick 100%. He's this big mauler, great run blocker. I think he could develop as a pass blocker a little bit more. But, you know, it's not like he's being called on right away. And, uh, you know, what I had to say about Noah Gray, which is just really quick, uh, he's a bit undersized and looks small on tape. I know he's 6'3", 240 uh, is what he, he tested at. But he got used in a super weird role at Duke where it was he was almost like a receiving fullback that actually saw volume. It was like – it was super strange. So his route tree might be a little limited because of it, but uh, it's not like he's going to be on the field soon. Uh, regardless, very likely. So I'm not too concerned about it. Just a, an interesting pick, interesting player, someone keep in the back of your mind for years from now, or if you know there's an injury to, to Kelsey. But that's about it. He reminds me. Remember Chris Cooley back in the day for Washington and play that 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 H back role, tight end role. Noah Gray reminds me of that, where you could be very very versatile uh, mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about our last team on the day before we get to the mailbag segment. The good old Texans. <laughs> the good old Texans. The gift that keeps on giving as far as teams to be able to bash everything that they are doing. Let's kick it off, buddy. Let's kick it off with Davis Mills, their first pick of the draft. This makes no sense for so many reasons, but go ahead with Davis Mills and your analysis first. I I know I'm, and I, I really just want to, emphasize it not by a lot not by a lot but I know I am higher on Davis Mills than you are I do think he's got the ceiling to for him to have been drafted not even close to the third round like he's someone that late fourth early fifth would have been like all right you draft him for the ceiling he's a lottery pick like you're just throwing a dart at the board there's like a one in a million chance he's on in the NFL three years from now but if he is he's actually probably a high-end backup at that point because he's got physical tools but he barely ever made it onto the field at Stanford, uh, whether due to injury or being somehow worse than KJ Costello, which is saying a lot. But he does have the arm strength. He was a highly touted recruit. Um, not Certainly not mobile, but someone who's mobile enough that you could like run boots with him, like uh, potentially like the athletic profile of a, a stronger-armed Kirk Cousins is what we're really dealing with here, uh, who's certainly 
you know, stronger arms. You sure about that? Yeah, but not by a lot. <laughs> uh, but regardless, you know, he's once again, it's a one in a million that he's even in the NFL in three years, whether or not he's even starting uh, is way out of question. Um, so yeah, third round, massive reach. I, I think he's an interesting player way later in the draft, but just not here. It just reminds me too much of Matt Barkley, who I think was taken mm-hmm. in the fourth round, but it was like yeah. the top in the fourth rounds so was kind of the third round where you're, look, you're a clipboard holder at the end of the day. The guy they just signed, Jeff Triscoll, has more upside, in my opinion, than a Davis Mills does. And ultimately, look, Deshaun Watson doesn't play. This doesn't, doesn't really actually open up a door for Davis Mills. Because, A, it would be Tyrod Taylor this year. But, B, Houston's going to have the number one pick. They actually do a first-round pick next year. They're going to have the number one pick next year. It's going to be a quarterback. Davis Mills is completely irrelevant from mm-hmm. fantasy football in every in every capacity. And it's just, it furthers a point of how much of a joke this front office of the Houston Texans is when it comes to actually getting any kind of talent. Now, there's one pick that it did make who I think will have some significant value, especially early on, which is Nico Collins. Now, he's a nice receiver as far as his talent goes. But he's in a position where they need somebody to play opposite of Brandon Cooks. Their depth chart right now not including Brandon Cooks, is Randall Cobb, Andre Roberts, and Kiki Kute. Randall Cobb is a ghost of himself at this point. He's done. Kiki Kute, another guy who I kind of look at as a Trey Con Smith, who continues to get excitement around him, and yet, whenever given the opportunity, and he's been given the opportunity, is mediocre to nothing. This guy in three years has had three 100-yard games in three years. So one good game a year, and yet somehow we're all supposed to be excited about Keith Kute and his prospects of being able to get playing time. He's gotten playing time. He's a mediocre wide receiver at best. Andre Roberts, we know what he is. He's a special teams guy. He's nothing more than that. Nico Collins is in position to be a red zone threat for this team, to be the other starting perimeter wide receiver for this team, And because he's a third-round pick, when you're looking at him from your dynasty rookie perspective, he's a guy that you're not going to have to draft super high and get pretty good value for and good volume for. I like him quite a bit. The prospect himself, he definitely has some work to do on his route tree. But he's going to fill in a particular role for this team. Now, my question is going to be, we'll get into this more in team profiles later on. Chris and I will on on this show. With David Culley, if he's going to run something similar to the Ravens, I don't know how much anybody outside of Brandon Cooks gives volume, but I think Nico Collins is a real shot to be a 2021, being the other starting and maybe even second most targeted wide receiver on this team. So you can go ahead and give me your thoughts about Nico Collins. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you 100% there. Uh, my notes on him were that, uh, you know, he has a great frame. You know, he can be that red zone threat, like you mentioned, a uh, great speed for his size. Uh, you know, not a, a burner by, you know, the same standards as some of the other guys we talked about, smaller guys like Darden or Atwell or whatever. Uh, but for being a 6'4", or, you know, close to that guy, the uh, you know, pretty good speed. Uh, but like you said, he rounds his routes uh, a little tight in the hips. His shuttle was awful. Uh, overall, just a limited route tree, you know, needs to work a lot in that area, super raw in that area. But, um, you know, he, he's kind of like a... Almost a better version of a lot of those, and that, that's real tough, but a better version of a lot of those uh, backup receivers on the Packers. Yeah. Yeah, no, he profiles out in a very similar type of situation. 
Uh, the only fantasy worthy pick that we probably should just mention quickly, Brevin Jordan. This is a guy that had some hype around him as far as being an athletic tight end. I'm not a fan. I don't think he's as athletic as people tried to make him out to be. I think he proved that in his pro day when he was very disappointing in that sense. I don't think he's a good route runner. He's definitely not a guy who can block. And when we look at the Texans depth chart, you have Jordan Atkins, Farrell Brown, and Cahale Waring. Now, Jordan Atkins isn't going anywhere, number one. But my big thing, Cahale Waring is every bit the athlete Brevin Jordan is, but he's actually bigger, stronger, and a little bit faster, as we came to find out for the pro day. I don't see a scenario where Brevin Jordan any, becomes anything of note. Just give me a quick thought on that. Yeah, I, I'm going to give the situation at least a little bit more credit. I don't, I'm not exactly excited by any of those tight ends. It, for Brevin Jordan, who I'm not high on the pro, as a prospect, uh, same with you. It would be a challenge, but... Uh, I could see him. I could see him beating out one of those guys, or at least making it to tight end two, and you know, succeeding Atkins uh, in the future. But overall, I'm not holding my breath that much, to be honest with you. Before we give our draft grades for the Texans, I just want to mention the latest on Deshaun Watson, and he's he's somebody who's starting to I'm starting to check off as off the field being a little bit delusional, because uh, he this guy is saying that he still wants to be traded from the Texans. He still won't play for the Texans. <laughs> Listen, guy, with all the off-field issues you now had, and this court case sounds like the last update is not going to be resolved until 2022. So now for 2021, it's going to be up to the NFL whether or not he's going to play, whether if he's going to be suspended or not, because uh, legally-wise, it sounds like we're not going to have a resolution until next year. That's, that's how it's kind of got postponed. That's the update as of now. So Watson's still holding firm that he doesn't want to play for the Texans. The only way you are going to get your... PR status up in any capacity is if you're on the field, Watson. It's the only way. If you're out on the field and performing well, you'll be able to get some good credit, and then other teams may look back to want to take a chance on you. But until you get a resolution out of your court case and you're still not on the field, no one's going to trade for you. And for your own career's sake now, you better get back on the field because it's the only way to restore your image in any capacity. So because I want to kind of give the update there, and, I mean, Adam, you can tell me whether you agree or disagree and Deshaun Watson being delusional at the idea of not playing for the Texans this season. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why any team would even consider trading for him before uh, before we get a resolution on this court case. I am so shocked that he's not on the commissioner's exempt list already, to be honest with you. I, I think it's just a matter of time. So, go ahead. Give me your draft grade for the Houston Texans. D+. Plus. I think a solid D+. Plus. I, you know... I think in the fifth round, you know, after at least as far as tight end uh, value is Brevin Jordan in the fifth round is about where I would have had him. Uh, so I'm not going to uh, give him the same grade that I did the the Saints by any means, but not too, too far from it. So D plus to D minus, definitely not an F though. I'm not giving him an F. I'll give him a D minus just because I think Nico Collins is a nice player and I think he'll fill a role and he'll be impactful. Other than that, I don't. I wouldn't be shocked if we never heard the names of these players ever again after this point. Hey guys, guess what? The mail's here. It is time for the mailbag segment. All right, Adam, we got a few questions and a few polls to go over before we cap off the show. First up, we had Peyton. He came in and he asked me, Jonathan Taylor or Cam Akers in a half point PPR dynasty? Who are you drafting higher? Go. Yeah, it's 100% Jonathan Taylor. I Jonathan Taylor right now is an 
I'm tempted to call him my dynasty RB2 at this point, regardless of format. I'm getting there uh, because I don't really like I, I'm avoiding pretty much most of the other top of the uh, top of the league guys uh, outside of McCaffrey. I'm just really not sold on anyone to draft at, um, you know, 102 in a startup. I'd rather take Taylor over, you know, a lot of those guys. And I'd, Akers is absolutely someone I would be um, I would have under Taylor. I agree with you in a sense. I have Taylor ahead of Cam Akers mm-hmm. because he's in a better offensive line situation. I think he's somebody that I trust more to stay healthy. I think Cam Akers and injury issues, something might crop up from time to time. I think Taylor's built like a tank. I think he's a little, little more explosive, but I think Cam Akers is in the same tier. I really, really do from a fantasy perspective, mm-hmm. because what I have with the Rams, I believe Sean McVay, especially now with Matthew Stafford, one, that's going to be a very, very good offense this year. But two, I think Sean McVay is more likely, and I didn't realize my screen was so big still, uh, was more likely to let Cam Akers be a bell cow, where I think Jonathan Taylor, as long as he's matched up with Frank Reich, is going to have to deal with guys like Neem Hines. He's going to have to deal with guys like Marlon Mack, where he's just going to have touches siphoned off here and there at an annoying rate. And Naeem Hines being the big one, where I question how much does Jonathan Taylor really ever truly get involved in the passing game, where I don't question that. With Cam Akers, I think he will be very involved in the passing game. So I think they're in the same tier. I lean a little bit more towards Jonathan Taylor, but I think it's closer than a lot of people might realize based on coaching situations. And these are also two teams that should be very good. So I don't think the coaching situations are going to change anytime soon either to kind of go along with that. So that's kind of where I stand on that. But both of us agreeing Taylor over Cam Akers if you're faced with that decision. Next up, Frank, PPR Dynasty. Would you rather have Chris Carson or Miles Sanders, Adam? This is a, a pretty tough one, but I, I think, especially for contenders, but really I think overall I think I'd rather have Chris Carson. Uh, the backfield keeps getting muddier and muddier in Philadelphia uh, with on Johnson and with Kenneth Gainwell, who's kind of a running back technically. Um, no. <laughs> but but Miles Sanders has already had injury issues, and I, I do think he's a, a good talent, and I, I could actually see uh, Nick Sirianni using him really well. Uh, that's one thing I will give him credit for. Uh, you know, he's been a part of great running games, even with um, backs who are in that 200 to 210 range. But I, I just, I think uh, Philadelphia is losing faith in him. And, you know, with the injury history and everything, Chris Carson, injury history, but when he's healthy, he's a low end RB1. Uh, I'd rather ride that out for two more years than be constantly concerned about what's going on with Miles Sanders. Yeah, I like to the take there because with Miles Sanders, you're right. I think there he's a guy that the organization is in their heads long term, possibly looking to move on from. This this is his year. He has to prove that he can stay healthy and be the dynamic back that they want him to be. If he doesn't do it this year, he's not going to get the opportunity. And I'd rather take the guy who just got a contract extension to be the guy in Chris Carson, Seattle, especially long term and even short term with Sanders. I think it's a question mark. How involved in the red zone are you going to be? Will Jordan Howard be the goal line back? I think even when he comes down to passing down situations, does Nick Serini take a page out of Frank Reich's book and everybody else from that coaching staff and say, hey, you know what? Uh, Boston Scott or Kenneth Gainwell, you're going to get involved here in some capacity. You know, it's, just, it's a lot of questions where it used to be Seattle where we questioned you know, who was going to get the touches and when. But Philadelphia is in a much tougher situation right now Sanders is kind of on a make it or break it year. 
I know Chris Carson is going to get featured. How much he stays healthy, I don't know. But at the same time, I also think the injury narrative on Chris Carson's overblown. Because mm-hmm. over the last three years, out of 48 possible games, he's played 41. So everyone wants to knock on Chris Carson. Oh, you can't really trust him to stay healthy. Last year, he missed four games. Before that, he missed one game and two games. And even last year, he missed the four games. He's still there for you in the playoffs. I think it's very overblown, the injury thing on him. I don't, Especially when you're talking about running backs who are going in his same tier, his same territory, whether it be for redraft or for dynasty purposes. He's hurt just as much, if not less, than a lot of those guys in that same group anyway. So I think that gets overblown into his value. But even if you think it is an issue, I would say his value is already baked in with the injury narrative anyway, because he's not somebody you have to take super high. And when he plays... Frankly, more times than not, he's a low-end RB1 because of the way he yeah. gets featured and the way he plays in that offense. So I'm definitely all in on Chris Carson. Skinner, he asked me, how do you think a potential Julio trade would affect Kyle Pitts' rookie value? We kind of talked about that a little bit at the beginning of the show. But go ahead, Adam, just reiterate some thoughts. Yeah, I, I think we like we talked on Tuesday and like we talked at the beginning of the show today. Uh, I think you maybe add 10 to 20 targets to him. but I think that's about it. I don't think it's a significant... Uh, increase in value um you know he at most he gets an extra 100 yards in a touchdown like i think that's the potential what we're adding in value and i think that's about it yeah i don't think julio really affects his value greatly again kyle pitts's value his rookie season to me comes down to the touchdowns does he turn into janu smith right away is he a guy's potential for seven to nine touchdowns this season with arthur smith without julio maybe you feel more confident that that's going to be a possibility but still we're going to get into this more as the offseason goes on. Don't overdraft Kyle Pitts in those redraft leagues uh, for sure. And we'll talk about more of that later. Last question, Broski. Chark or Waddle in a full-point PPR dynasty? You know, uh, that's really tough. And I think it really that comes down to, I think, who you're going to believe more uh, from the quarterback position right now. I, I think I'm going to lean Chark, but... I honestly, I like I like the talent of Waddle a little bit more, but I think both players are going to be at in those uh, at these teams for a long time. I like Tua, so I think both quarterbacks will be there for a long time. And honestly, I I just think the um, uh, the passing attack with Chark is a little bit more enticing for me. But I, I think that one's pretty close. Yeah, I think this ultimately boils down for Borowski. Where are you at? Are you going for a championship this year, or are you looking down the road? Because down the road, I do like Waddle a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think there are some things up in the air about where Chark's even going to be. But if you're looking to win a championship this year, I'd actually probably would lean towards Chark. Because Trevor Lawrence, the type of quarterback he is, he likes giving his perimeter guys opportunities to make plays. That's what Chark needs. He needs somebody who's willing to throw him a 50-50 ball. And when you compare what they're going to have to do offensively, which is primarily pass because the defense is still going to be horrendous. Trevor Lawrence, given the, his skill set, the way he plays, DJ Chark, how I think he's going to fit an Urban Meyer, Darren Bevel type of offense, I think actually fits him quite well where he'll be able to move around and be the big play, you know, big man wide receiver down the field. I like Chark more in 2021. And he's still young talent, so he's still pretty good for Dynasty as well. But to me, this is all about Borowski. Where are you at right now? Are you going for a championship this year or are you going down the road? Because down the road, Waddle, I think, does prorate out to be a guy who has potential to be a superstar type of wide receiver. I do believe in Tua. And then after this season, I think Devontae Parker's definitely gone. We'll see what happens with Will Fuller. But Jalen Waddle might be on an island all by himself pretty soon before you realize it. So that's going to be interesting as well. Last two things I want to get to, the polls. 
asked earlier this week, what is Julio Jones's best fantasy football destination? You guys answered 44% in favor of the Packers, 24% Patriots. And then there was a split of 16% between the 49ers and the Tennessee Titans. I agree with the public here. The Packers would be the best fit overall. Last yeah. poll was, and I'm going to get to you on this one, Adam. What current ADP second round running back in PPR do you want more? And I thought this was interesting, at least as far as the voting gap that it wound up being. It was Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, the choices. MD Nation answered 41% in favor of Eckler, only 15 for Joe Mixon, 23% for Cam Akers, and 21% for DeAndre Swift. So give me your thoughts on that, Paul. Yeah, that gap is really interesting because I, I, when I was looking at this uh, in the show notes, I thought it was very, very close, you know, who you would want to take in PPR. Uh, I, I came to the conclusion that I would lean Eckler slightly, probably, at least definitely in redraft. I think it gets a little muddier in Dynasty. But, man, I don't know. It gets – I don't know. I think they're all guys who, um, and once again, in redraft at least, are in a very similar tier. Yeah, look, Joe Mixon, I know a lot of people have been burned by him injury-wise, so I get Mm -hmm. why he would come up in last, but he's the one who has the most potential out of this group. Yes. Because if he's healthy, if you're telling me I get 15 out of 17 games of Joe Mixon, I'm telling you I'm getting a top 10 running back. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was really interesting, the gap. Austin Eckler is very good, but he's a guy, he got hurt a lot last year. So I was a little surprised people weren't using that recency bias on him where he was so heavily favored in this question. DeAndre Swift's in a prime position, especially PPR-wise, to really be a big-time playmaker there. And we love Cam Akers and the bell cow that he could possibly be. I thought this was very, very close. I think they all belong in the same tier. I was just with you. I'm just kind of surprised at the gap, how many people favored Austin Eckler. Mm -hmm. And frankly, personally, I'm probably going Cam Akers out of this group with Joe Mixon slightly behind him, and then Austin Eckler after that. But they're all very, very, very close uh, with this one. I'm not totally surprised Eckler came out first. Just kind of surprised by the gap. That's going to do it for the show. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. We're kicking off team profiles to be determined on what teams we're going to talk about first. So make sure you guys are following along at Show or at WWSRN Radio to find out exactly what we'll be talking about next week. Throughout the week, we'll let you all know. Make sure you're following along there for the player notifications too. I want to give a big thank you again to Adam coming in. Billion for Chris. Adam, you're absolutely fantastic. And we'll definitely be having you back on the show again. Let everybody know where to follow you at and what you're working on so they can go ahead and check you out. Yeah. Uh, follow me at, at LaRue Adam on Twitter at L H E U R E U X Adam. Um, and on Belly Up Fantasy Sports, I am working on my uh, running back dynasty rankings. Uh, it's taking a little bit longer than I, I want it to because I am uh, trying to write the entire thing uh, in one one go and then release chunks of it uh, at a time. So I, I'm down to like, um, I think about halfway through at this point. So it'll come out when it comes out. But once it does, I'm hoping I'll get it out um, two chunks a week until until that's done. Uh, and, and while I'm releasing it, I'll be able to start working on wide receivers. So that's the plan currently. 
Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Everybody check him out, bellyupfantasysports.com, when those articles go live or any other great content you want to go ahead and check out. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Make sure to check us out again at bellyupmdffshow. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite streaming app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you like to go. And make sure you check out Chris and I. We'll be back tomorrow night on the DC's DFS Challenge Show at 930 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, continuing our DC's uh, DFS Challenge Tournament, talking about some NBA playoffs. We're going to try to win you guys some money for the weekend. We'll see you guys all next week. Everybody have a great holiday weekend and take care.